I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles tonight to Luke chapter 13. I um, uh, seems to me that the Holy Spirit impressed upon me this uh, uh, healing event, this healing occurrence in Jesus' ministry in Luke chapter 13 to share with you this evening. I really don't have a message, but I've got some thoughts, and we'll just uh, start off where we are directed to and let the Holy Ghost lead us from there. It uh, tells us the story of uh, Jesus healing on the Sabbath day as he was, um, uh, um, well, as he did frequently. And, uh, and it made the religious people mad. Healing always makes religious people mad, but especially when you mess up their services. It says in, uh, in verse 10, beginning in verse 10, it says, uh, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity. This word infirmity means sickness. Not every place, uh, as a matter of fact, very few places in the Bible where the word infirmity is used does it mean sickness. But this is one of the places that it does. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity or sickness 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. And he said unto the people, there are six days in which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Jesus expresses his attitude toward the, the ruler of the synagogue, the religious guy. Verse 15, then the Lord answered him and said, thou hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And then Jesus gives his reason for initiating healing on the part of this, this lady, this individual. And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said th these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Now, notice what does not happen here. I, I know you've read this before. I know that you've probably been here when I've taught on this before. You know the two things that he says. He says he, she's a daughter of Abraham and is the work of the devil. It's a good thing to know that sickness is always the work of the devil. And so you may, you may know where I'm going to go with this, but I'm going to try to go a little bit different direction. Notice what did not happen in this case. Stop and take it apart with me. What did not happen? Notice she does not come to him giving him reasons why she ought to be healed. It's my experience, it has been my experience in almost 30 years of working with Brother Hagin and then most of them uh, pastoring the church and dealing with people and, and ministering, healing, and, uh, and so forth. So often, I won't say it's every time, but so often, people come trying to prove that they have a right to healing. They're trying to prove based on their, their qualifications. They're trying to prove based on their service to the Lord, how long they've been saved, how much they love Him, or, or whatever the case is. Notice Jesus does not say that the reason that he heals this woman is because she's kind to cats or because she's, she does, you know, makes uh, garments for the poor or, or anything like that. Jesus initiates something toward her because she has a covenant right. Now, what does Jesus do? Jesus, when he sees her, he, uh, we don't have any indication that he's teaching on healing. We don't have any indication of what he's teaching. But when he sees this woman in the condition that she's in, he knows something about her. This is a new place for Jesus to be. It's uh, not like he's there every Sabbath day. And so there's no reason to think that he would know anything about her except by revelation. And he knows she's been in this condition for 18 years. I have to assume that that's something that the Holy Ghost revealed to him uh, without any further information. Why, you know, what else would we assume? 
But Jesus looks at this woman and recognizes that she is a child of, of uh, Abraham, a daughter of Abraham. She's a, a person that has a covenant right as part of the seed or the, the, the uh, physical descendants, natural descendants of Abraham. And Jesus initiates something to her. He goes out to her. I mean, it's not like there's a healing line. You can see the ruler of the synagogue's attitude toward healing, especially on the Sabbath day. We don't have any record that he heals any other day of the week. So his, his comment is really uh, baseless in, uh, in my thinking. But, uh, but certainly not on the Sabbath day would you expect anything to happen in this synagogue regarding uh, the benefit or, or to bring a healing benefit to people. So Jesus says something to her. Jesus goes to her. And notice what Jesus says. He says, woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Notice what he does not say. He does not say, I'm going to turn you loose from this thing. He literally says, woman, I've done something about this for you. That's what thou art loosed from this infirmity means. He says it's already taken place. It's not something that's going to happen. It's something that's already taken place. Now, does he mean taken place physically or does he mean taken place spiritually? Well, if something has already taken place physically, why in the next verse does he lay hands on her? When he says, woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity, literally he's saying, and these are my words, not you can't find this in any other translation, so don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But literally, in effect, he's saying, I am doing something, or I have done something about your condition. Well, it sure doesn't look like there's anything done about her condition. She can't stand up. She can't lift up herself. I'm not sure exactly what this means, but uh, she's in some kind of crippled condition where she's bowed over and can't lift up uh, and stand up straight. And Jesus says, woman, I have done something about your infirmity. I have done something about your condition. And then he lays hands on her. And she was made straight and glorified God. And Jesus tells the reason for that is two reasons. Number one, she's a daughter of Abraham, meaning she has a covenant right to healing, the healing that he provided for. And secondly, that Jesus is sent to the earth to destroy the works of the devil. Now, turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. I want you to see something about this. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Um, well, let's see. I, I'm not sure how much of this I want to read. I don't want to take the time to read the whole thing. But uh, let me read verse 1 to give you the context of what's being said. And then we'll skip down a little bit. It says, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it. So he's talking about the promised land. Moses is talking to the children of Israel about taking the promised land. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and has cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. Verse 2, And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. He talks about don't marry with them, don't take uh, unto yourself graven images and so forth. And notice it, skip down with me in verse uh, 6. It says, For thou art a holy people. This is Moses speaking for God toward the people of Israel, to the people of Israel. The reason that you can't, he doesn't want you to intermarry, the reason he doesn't want you to take their images or worship their false gods and so forth. For thou art a holy people, verse 6, unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Now remember, Israel is a type, an Old Testament type of the church. 
Not the same status as the church because Israel was called servants. The uh, sons of God or the, uh, the church, people of God in the New Testament are called sons. So he says, for thou art a holy people unto, him, unto the Lord. And he has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than the people, than any people. For you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, has the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, here's the reason he did it, not because you're so great or you're so many or or any other reason. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, he delivered you from Egypt, the faithful God which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the, the Bible says that from Moses, Moses was about 2,000 years after uh, um, Abraham. Um, from Abraham to Moses was, two, was uh, about 2,000 years, and the Bible identifies 14 generations. And then it says from Moses to Jesus was another 2,000 years, another 14 generations. Well, it's been about 2,000 years from Jesus till today. So if the, if the pattern holds true, you've got 14 generations from Abraham to Moses, that's 2,000 years. Another 14 generations for the next 2,000 years, that's 28 generations. If the next, 20, uh, the next 2,000 years is another 14 generations, or let's say it's 20 generations, then that would be 44 generations that have come and gone since God spoke these words through Moses, or I'm sorry, since God gave the covenant, the, made the promise to Abraham, 2,000 years later, Moses then uh, speaks on behalf of God to the children of Israel. So if it's 44 generations and God keeps, uh, his, he's faithful to his covenant for 1,000 generations, we've got 956 generations yet to go. That should cover you and me, shouldn't it? Now, let's keep reading so you see that this is uh, uh, pertinent to the things that we're talking about. Again, verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. We found out this morning, if you were with us, keeping his commandments means speaking his word. Not just doing the things that he commanded, but speaking his word. And he repays them, verse 10, here's something else God does, and repays them that hate him to their face to destroy them. Do you remember back in Luke chapter 13 without turning back there? Do you remember the two things Jesus said, the two reasons Jesus gave for for ministering healing to this lady? He said, number one, healing belonged to her because she's a daughter of Abraham. Secondly, because Satan has bound her for 18 years. The two things that Jesus identifies as the reasons for him initiating healing toward this woman on the Sabbath day are the very two things that Moses said are the characteristics and the traits of God regarding the covenant blessing of Abraham, that he, the promises that he made to Abraham and his seed. God is faithful to keep his covenant with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, number one. And number two, God repays them that hate him to their face to destroy them. Well, who hates God more than satan he will not be slack to him that hateth him he will repay him to his face thou therefore shalt thou shalt therefore keep his commandments 
and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. Wherefore it shall come to pass if you hearken to these judgments. Again that includes speaking the word even under the old covenant. If you hearken unto these judgments and keep and do them. That the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and mercy which he swear unto thy fathers. That's the thing that Jesus is initiating healing toward this uh, woman in Luke chapter 13 for. And he will love thee, verse 13, and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb and the fruit of thy land, thy corn, thy wine, thine oil, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep in the land which he swear unto thy fathers to give them. There shall not, thou shalt be blessed above all the people and there shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. Verse 15, and the Lord will take away from thee all sickness. Notice the context that he's talking about. The context is promised land blessings. The context is the keeping of the covenant that he made with Abraham, their forefathers, this lady's forefather in Luke chapter 13. And the Lord shall take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases upon thee which thou knowest, will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. Now, the, we should mention that this is uh, translated in the, the uh, causative sense where these Hebrew verbs are in the permissive sense where it says God will lay them or put them on the people that hate him. It literally means God will allow it. Well, how does God allow it? Because they speak against God's word. Really in the strictest sense, the individual allows it themselves by exercising their authority to speak contrary to God's word. So what I want you to see is I want you to see that Jesus is initiating the keeping of the covenant and to destroy the power of the devil. Why? Because that's what God does. Turn with me over to Jeremiah chapter 1. I want you to see another verse of scripture. Jeremiah chapter 1. God speaking to Jeremiah. I won't get into the whole thing. But he's sending Jeremiah to the people. And he says don't be afraid of their faces in verse 8. And uh, then he asks him. Uh, to, he tells him he's going to do some things where the nations are concerned. And use Jeremiah concerning the nations. Israel and others and then he asked Jeremiah what he sees he shows him something and asks Jeremiah what he sees and Jeremiah responds now verse 12 is what I want you to see then said the Lord unto me here's the Lord's response after Jeremiah tells him what he sees then said the Lord unto me thou hast well seen for I will hasten my word to perform it this word hasten means in the Hebrew it means to be alert that is sleepless on the lookout concerning his word Notice the attitude that Jesus displays in Luke chapter 13 when he sees this woman who is a daughter of Abraham who has a covenant right to healing. Notice Jesus' attitude. Jesus says to her, he saw her and he called her unto him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. Woman, I am doing something about your sickness. Then he laid hands on her and she was made straight. And then he says, here's why I did this. Because number one, she's a daughter of Abraham. She has a covenant right. The promise that God made to Abraham and was carried out through Moses to the children of Israel. And therefore to her is I will take away from thee all the sicknesses of Egypt and will put none of them on you. I'll take away from you all sickness which you know. Secondly, Jesus said, this is the work of the devil. And the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3 that for this purpose was Jesus manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. The, closer, the more closely you're associated with sickness, the more you begin to hate it. I remember reading something after uh, John Lake. 
he, uh, uh, his experience was that uh, sickness had just ravaged his family. He had uh, um, a couple of um, brothers and sisters who had died at a relatively young age, young adults. Uh, well, one, uh, if I remember right, one of, them, one of his brothers died when he was a teenager, and, uh, and a couple of others had died at, uh, at young adult age or stage and, and, uh, and that kind of thing. And the thing that got him interested in the things of God is his, his sister, who was at the point of death, was taken uh, by some family members, and he was one of them, to um, uh, a service at uh, Zion, Illinois, with John Alexander Dowie. And she was miraculously healed. And Lake was a very scientific-minded guy. He was a businessman, and, but he had a real sharp, scientific type of mind, a real inquisitive mind. He was a researcher. He was an investigator. He was the kind of guy that would get to the bottom of everything, and it made him real successful in business. And, um, and, uh, and as a result... Uh, he saw that the power of God was something that was real. It was something that was tangible. It was something that could be relied on. He saw that it was something that worked just as well as electricity. It was just as reliable as electricity. And those were the terms that he used to uh, to describe it. Many times he'd talk about the laws of electricity that enable electricity fl- to flow or things that would stop electricity from flowing in the way that it was supposed to or could be a blessing to people. And, uh, and so he, he um, uh, used that example many, many times throughout the years of his ministry to describe the, the healing power of God. He said if you remove the non-conductive characteristics of doubt and unbelief, the healing power of God will always flow. Well, when his sister was healed, she wasn't the only sick person in his family. There was sickness that just ran through his family, like he, as he said, like a curse. And um, uh, so when he found uh, or experienced the healing power of God to raise up his sister from a deathbed, then he got the healing power of God working for everybody else in his family. There were some family members that he took to uh, Zion, Illinois, uh, to, uh, to duplicate his sister's experience. But after being there for a couple of times, he realized that it wasn't just one man that had the power of God, but it was something that God would and could and would do through anybody that met the conditions. So he went back and started ministering healing to his own family. He said they eradicated that, uh, that curse of sickness in his family within a matter of uh, nine months, I think it was, from the first time, the first one that was healed to the last one. He said from that point on, they all enjoyed a, a great degree of health in their bodies. But he talked about uh, as a young man and as a teenager growing up, seeing his brothers, uh, I think the brother that died, died of tuberculosis, and he died a horrible death, real painful death. He saw him coughing up his lungs and, you know, under you know, suffering in great manner and so forth. And he said, even as a young man, by the time I got to be a young man, he said, I had developed such a hatred for sickness that it's hard to describe. He said, I knew that it was an evil, evil thing. Now, he said, I didn't know who it was from. You know, part of the church was saying God was behind this and there must have been some terrible sin in the family and and this, that, and the other. And he said, I searched through my family's history and I asked everybody that I knew. And he said, I couldn't find any terrible sin that had brought this upon us. He said, but I didn't know what to think. Just really didn't know what to think. Until he got in the presence of a man who knew, a man that was used by God in, in a healing ministry, until he got in the presence of somebody that could show him from the Bible the sicknesses of the devil and was confident. He said, I got in front of John Alexander Dowie. And, and, and if you know anything about Dowie, Dowie got off in the last years of his ministry. I mean, it's not, a, not everything that he said, not everything that he preached even turned out to be true. But man, God used him in healing. And he had a faith, he had a boldness of faith that God honored. So he said, when I got in front of Dowie, he said, I heard Dowie say without hesitation, this is the work of the devil. 
He said, I didn't have the opportunity because it wasn't a private meeting or anything like that. It was during the middle of a service. He said, but I wanted to stop him and say, how do you know? Because he had heard from all kinds of people about, well, maybe this is God. Maybe God's doing this to you. But this guy, without hesitation, said, this is the work of the devil. So after the service, after he was, his sister was healed and, and uh, so forth, he had a chance to ask some people. And they showed him in the word. They showed him from the, the scripture where sickness is always of the devil. Well, he had never seen that before, and he didn't understand why the church people, the other Christians that had talked to him, other ministers that had come to see him, he didn't understand why they hadn't shown him that too. See, he was naive enough to think that if it's in the Bible, everybody's going to preach the same thing. But Dowie was without hesitation. This is the work of the devil. This should be broken. This should be destroyed because it's the devil's work. That seems to be the same attitude Jesus has. This is the work of the devil that's kept this woman bound for 18 years. And that's enough for me to do something about it. It belongs to her. The devil's kept her bound. So that's enough for me to do something about it. Which is exactly what the Bible says is the faithfulness of God in keeping the covenant that he made. The covenant promises that he made to Abraham and Abraham's descendants. Galatians 3.29 says, and if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed. And you're an heir of the promise. The same promise of healing. It belongs to you even more than it belonged to her. Because I said she, as long with the rest of Israel, were servants. Let me show you 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, let me get it real quick. John speaking by the Holy Ghost said to the church, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because we, it knew him not. Beloved, verse 2, now are we the sons of God. You're not going to be a son or a child of God someday. You're a son of God now. Nowhere is Israel called sons of God. Nowhere. They're always called servants. Now, who do you treat better, your kids or your servants? The people you hire or the people that you love? Silly question, isn't it? You do anything for your kids. Verse 2 again, beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now that phrase, it, it really bugs me. When John said, beloved, now are we the sons of God, verse 2, 1 John 3, verse 2, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Why? Most other translation says, uh, something well let me let me read a couple rather than just quote them oh, wrong one hold on these ipads don't work nearly as fast as i need them to uh one translation said my loved ones now are we the children of god and it is, and at present it is not clear what we are to be that makes it sound like we don't know what we're supposed to be another translation says um my dear friends, we are already God's children, though what we will be hasn't yet been seen. Uh, let's see, is there any other that's... Uh, here's one. Dear friends, now we are God's children. What we will be isn't completely clear yet. Isn't John the one that said at the end of Revelation? Isn't John say, who, who wrote the book of Revelation at about the same time that he wrote the letters to the church, First, Second, and Third John? Isn't he the one that said that... Um, uh, uh, anybody that adds to these things shall be accursed. In other words, John came to the knowledge, whether or not at this exact time or very shortly thereafter, John came to the knowledge that there wasn't any more scripture going to be added to 
the foundation of the apostles and the prophets that the church is to be built on. That doesn't mean God's through with apostles and prophets, but none are going to be used as the apostles of the Lamb were, or those early church uh, apostles like Peter and Paul and, and, uh, and John and so forth to establish the rest of the holy written word of God. So how is it that we don't yet know what we shall be? Well, let me give you my opinion. I can't prove it, but you can't disprove it. Here's my opinion on what he's saying. What he's saying is we'll never come to the depths of what we can be in him. He may even be saying we're not living up yet to who we ought to be in Christ. But remember, by the time John writes this, uh, this letter to the church, by the time he writes, Paul's written all his letters. We've got Paul's complete revelation of who we are in Christ. Peter, is, is, uh, Paul and, Peter and Paul are both dead. So they finished their writings. We've got record, or they had record. He has knowledge of everything that anybody in the early church has written by the inspiration of God that they're using as God speaking to them. So it doesn't make sense that he's saying there's still more for us that hasn't been revealed unless he's saying that we haven't yet lived up to everything we can be. I wonder if John knew the fact that knew the the scripture that said and and talking about God's plan and purpose. I wonder if he knew the scripture that says the glory of the latter house, meaning the church shall be greater than of the former, meaning the early church or meaning the early days of uh, of the temple, the dedication of Solomon's temple where the glory of the Lord filled the house. I wonder if he knew about that. Well, sure he did. So could it be that he's saying the church will get more and more glorious as the end comes yet? The end time that he speaks of, he says, yet when Jesus shall appear, we'll be just like him. I think he's saying the same thing that others have said. For example, E.W. Kenyon said, we don't know of anybody that's lived. We we know of people that have have gone back and forth into the power of God and and operated in the authority of God in, in a measure. But we've never had anybody live there. I wonder if John is saying by the Holy Ghost that before the end, the church will live there. Well, I certainly believe it's possible. I'm not sure that's exactly what he's saying, but it would stand to reason because it's certainly within the realm of possibility. It is within our potential to do so. It is within our potential. So what are we to see? We're to see that God's attitude is that he's always looking out to keep his covenant. You know, there's a verse of scripture in, uh, um, I think it's Amos. Uh, the Old Testament in the book of Amos. I think it's Amos chapter 2 that says God does nothing except to show his prophets, reveal it first to his prophets. Now, a lot of times people will see a scripture like that and they'll think, oh, the prophets. But that's not the point. The point is very simply this. The prophets were the ones under the Old Covenant in the Old Testament that spoke for God. The point is God doesn't do anything except he says it first. Well, guess what he's already said? Guess what he's already spoken? He has spoken the truth of the covenant promises and the covenant blessings that Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and with his stripes you are healed. See, if we understood the absolute truth of these statements, if we understood the absolute truth of even the Old Testament promise that we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 7 about verse 15, that I will take all sickness away from the midst of you. If we understood the absolute truth of that, remember Numbers chapter 23 verse 19, God said of himself, he said, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he spoken it and shall he not perform it or do it? 
uh, how does it say? Has he spoken it and shall he not make it good? Has he said it and shall he not do it? See, when God says something, it's done as far as he's concerned. That's why Jesus says to the woman in Luke chapter 13, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. He's literally saying, I've already done something about it. Well, what did Jesus already done? He came to the earth. What was his purpose for coming to the earth? To destroy the power of the devil or destroy the works of the devil. Sickness is certainly one of those works. Works is plural, not singular. Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. If we understood the absolute nature of God's word, if we accepted the absolute nature, truth of God's word, if we came to realize that heaven and earth will pass away before his word of promise, his word concerning your healing would fail, we'd see a lot different results. We'd see a lot different results. Jesus has already destroyed the works of the devil, folks. Jesus has already broken the law of sin and death, the power of the law of sin and death. The Bible says that Jesus even abolished death. That doesn't mean he did away with it from existence, but it means he did away with it for his children, for those who will accept. I just love the thought that God is hastening his word to perform it. He's ever alert, sleepless, to make sure his word comes to pass. I love that. Well, if that's true, what are we staying up for? No point in both of us staying awake, is there? No, the Bible says that it's vain for the children of God, God's people. It's vain for us to stay up late or rise up early. Why? Because God's word is true. If God said it, then it's truth. All we have to do is lean back on his promise. That's all there is for us to do is to lean back on his promise. That's the thing that Lake came to realize. Lake and Wigglesworth and many other men that we could talk about. They came to realize the absolute truth of God's word. If God said it, it's done. Yeah, but it doesn't look like it's done. That has nothing to do with it. Yeah, but I don't feel like it's done for me yet. That has nothing to do with it. It's impossible for God to lie. If God said it, it's done. Well, what has God said? Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 8. We've quoted this already, but let's refer to it. Matthew chapter 8, telling about Jesus' work on the earth and that he accomplished on the cross. Verse 16, it says, When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Notice he did not leave anybody out. He healed all that were sick. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, that was just when Jesus was here on the earth. Hebrews 13 eight says Jesus is the same. Yesterday, when he was here on the earth, today at the right hand of the Father, and forever throughout eternity. So if he healed all that were sick yesterday, then that means if he doesn't change, if he's the same today, then he'll heal all that are sick today. Amen? There's no room for, for uh, trying to find a reason to place out of this, reason of uh, uh, coming up with a reason not to have healing. The Bible says Jesus healed all that were sick. Now, here's why he did it, that it might be fulfilled. Another translation says to begin the fulfillment of, because it's not talking about a once and for all fulfillment. It's talking about an example or a, an illustration when he was here on the earth of that which he would finally and, uh, and effectively accomplish through his death, burial, and resurrection. See, the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. That's sins. 
He was bruised for our iniquities. That's a, a different type of sin. It means he, was, he paid the price not only for Adam's sin, but for man's personal sin. It goes further to say the chastisement of our peace, our well-being, it's talking about physical prosperity, material well-being, was upon him. And with his stripes, we were healed. Now that, uh, well, Isaiah was speaking to the future. He said, with his stripes, we are healed. Peter, looking back, 1 Peter 2.24, looking back to the fulfillment of the cross, says, with his stripes, we were healed. So that tells us that the final fulfillment, the end of um, uh, uh, of God's work concerning healing was when Jesus took the uh, the punishment upon him, the punishment associated with the cross, and made the ultimate sacrifice of his life. So that when he was raised from the dead, that work was finished. God's done all he's ever going to do about sickness and disease. Now, some people get upset about that, and they think that, they think that we're saying God's not going to heal you. But in reality, God has already healed you. It's the difference in Jesus saying to the woman in Luke chapter 13, Woman... Thou art loose from thine infirmity, as opposed to him saying, Woman, I'm going to do something about your infirmity. Well, if Jesus said, I'm going to do something about your infirmity, but didn't lay hands on her that day, what is she to do? But to walk through life, or shuffle along through life, hoping for that day to finally come. And that's where so many people seem to be, thinking they're in faith. They're hoping for God to do something someday. Well, God did something one day, and that day's behind us. So here where it says that Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, meaning the beginning of the fulfillment, the beginning of the work that he did here on the earth and the sacrifice that he made of his own precious blood for the, the, the finality, the final death nail in the coffin of sickness, that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. In other words, the Bible is saying when Jesus healed on the earth, it's proof that he's the one that Isaiah prophesied about that would do something about sickness and disease once and for all. And he did. And he did. Now, how true is that? I, you know, it's, it's a funny thing. We talk about the Easter bunny. We talk about um, other imaginary individuals in our society and so forth. Don't want to mess anything up for anybody, so I don't want to get any more specific than that. And then we talk about Jesus. And so and it seems to me like Jesus and the Easter Bunny are kind of held by many in, in the in an equal status. You know, we hear fairy tales and we, we, we repeat these fairy tales to our kids. And there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing that. But we repeat these fairy tales because it's part of the culture and we, we want our kids to feel good about things and think good things. And, and, and it becomes a fun part of our culture. But then when we talk about Jesus, sometimes I think we leave the idea that it's uh, the same kind of fairy tale or on the same level as, as some of the other stuff that we say, some of the others that we talk about. But folks, there was a real day, a 24-hour period, a moment in time when Jesus died on the cross. It's more real than George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or anybody else in our American history. It's more real than the historical record of Napoleon or, or Alexander the Great or anybody else in time. He was, Jesus was just as real and did something that's even more significant than the things that we read about in, uh, concerning Abraham and Moses and the patriarchs and the prophets and so forth. Jesus was a very real individual. He came to the earth. He was very real as a man, as a human being. And there was a moment in time where he literally died on the cross for your sins and for your sickness. That really happened. And it really happened three days later 
three days after his, his death on the cross that he was raised from the dead. There really came a point in time between those two events during those three days. There really came a point in time where the eternal price for sin, sickness, and poverty was paid for once and for all. There was a real moment of time, a literal moment, a literal second when the price for sickness was paid once and for all, for all of eternity. When the Bible says with his stripes or by his stripes you were healed, that's what it really means. And it's an eternal truth. And it's more real, it's more true than any truth you know. It's more real than the, than the car you drive or the home you live in or the bed you sleep in or the, the husband or the wife, spouse that you're sitting next to. Jesus is more real than any of those things. I used to hear Brother Hagin talk about that. Brother Hagin used to say, you know, when I first got saved and, and started walking with the Lord, he said Jesus seemed like he was so far off. He had uh, done some great things for him and healed his body and so forth. But even there, it seemed like he was so far off. And sometimes you wondered if he was really real. He said, but after walking with the Lord for 50-something years, you know, when he was talking about it at that time, he said, Jesus is more real to me than my wife. Now, at the time when I was hearing that, I was, a, a, you know, 20-something-year-old. And I thought to myself, wow, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great for Jesus to be more real to you than the people that you know? Folks, I can tell you some 30 years later, Jesus is more real to me than you are. And God's word is more true than anything else I can compare it to. There was a real moment in time when Jesus paid the price for your sickness. Jesus now is saying to you, with his stripes, you were healed. And it's just as real as when Jesus said to the woman in Luke chapter 13, woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. In fact, if you go through the book of Acts, you'll find out that in many cases, Peter and Paul both just declared what Jesus had already done. They didn't minister healing. They didn't even preach healing in certain cases. They just said, Jesus Christ has made you whole. And the truth of that statement was enough to change somebody from helpless and hopeless conditions and raise them up. Jesus said, woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. I've already done something about your condition. Guess what? He's already done something about yours too. And the reason he has is because he's just as alert to watch over his word. He's just as sleepless to make sure that his promises come to pass as he was for the woman. Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. Man or woman, child of God, you are loose from your infirmity. It's real. It's true. It's not going to be true someday. It's true now. And God is watching over his word to perform it. We think sometimes that God is, uh, we're waiting for God to do something or there's some kind of hindrance that God's going to have to remove. The only hindrance that ever needs to be removed for a child of God is our wrong thinking. That's the only hindrance there is. That's what the Bible calls the devil's strongholds. That's the only, that's the only hindrance that can possibly keep us out of it. It's wrong thinking. Wrong thinking will cause wrong believing. Wrong believing will cause wrong speaking. We get our thinking in line with the word of God. We'll get our believing in line. We'll get our words in line. And nothing the devil can do can stop it. Because the power of sin and death have already been broken. I love Romans chapter 8 verse 2. It says for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Has made me free. From the law of sin and death. It's not going to make you free someday folks. You're already free. You remember the story in the, in the book of Acts where it talks about uh, Paul and, and Silas uh, being thrown in jail and at midnight they sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. 
It says that the, um, uh, suddenly there was an earthquake and all the prison doors opened and, and all the, the, the prisoners are now sitting in the jail waiting to see what's going to happen next. I think that's a good illustration for the way that a lot of Christians are living their lives. The prison doors open because Jesus blew the doors off. But they're still sitting in jail. What were they doing sitting in jail? Now, I understand their situation. They're waiting to see these guys that just praise the doors open, waiting to see what they're going to do. But what excuse is there for us to sit in jail when the prison doors are open? I can't find one. I can't find one at all. Let's just, why don't we do this? Why don't we all stand? Let's spend a minute just praising the Lord. See what he would have us to do. Let's lift our hands and just worship him for a moment. Lord, we've been obedient to do what you told us to do. We've shared the truth of your word as you instructed us. Now we wait in your presence. Lord, I know the Holy Ghost well enough to know that when he gives me something to speak, it's for specific purpose and for specific reason. So, Lord, whoever it is that you're ministering to, whoever are the ones that you're ministering to, we want to give you a moment to do your work. We declare that we were healed by the stripes of Jesus. We declare that the power of sickness has been broken over our lives. We declare the truth of your word that we've been set free from the law of sin and death, which includes the law of sickness, the bondage of sickness. We thank you, Father, therefore, that we're healed. We're not going to be healed someday. Jesus has finished the work. So we worship you, Lord. We worship you as our healer. We worship you, Jesus, as our healer. You're not just our Savior, but you're our healer. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Minister to us as you will, Lord. Open our hearts. Open our eyes. Oh, Lord, it's so good to be healed. It's so good to be healed. For, some, for many of us, we're healed by faith. We don't yet see it in the physical realm, but we believe it to be true. We're not moved by what we see. We're not moved by what we feel. We're moved only by the truth of your word. And your word says we're healed. So it's so good to be healed. Blessed be the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. I believe I have some direction from the Lord. When Jesus said to the woman, woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity, or as we paraphrase that, lady, I've already done something about your condition. Then he laid hands on her and she was made straight. If you're here tonight and you're either standing for your healing or maybe you've never been prayed for before and you want to have hands laid on you to receive your healing, I want you to lift your hand right where you are. All right, we have several around the room. Lift them up high so everybody can see. Everybody else, put your hands down for just a moment so we don't confuse who's who. Just those of you that need hands laid on you for healing, 
or you're standing in faith for your healing, lift your hands. All right, keep your hands up. Now I want everybody to turn around and look. And if you've got somebody close to you that's got their hand raised, I want you to go put your hand on them. Don't say anything yet. Don't pray. It's okay to have several people around one person. That's fine. Just make sure that, it, that everybody has at least one person laying hands on them. The Bible says, These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Then say, These signs shall follow the ministers. Then say, These signs shall follow only those that have special healing anointings or whatever. It says, These signs follow believers. Now, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to pray. I don't want anybody to ask God to do anything. Are you listening? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to lay hands on them and say you are loosed from your infirmity in Jesus' name. Make a declaration of faith. That's what the prayer of faith is in James 5. It's a declaration of faith. Say to that effect, something to that effect. I don't care if you use my words or not. But say you are loosed from your infirmity in Jesus' name. And just leave your hands on them. Just minister life to them. Let the power of God flow out of you and into them. The power of God is in you because you're a believer. Let it flow out of you and into them. Hallelujah. Lord, we worship you. We magnify your name. We thank you that each and every one of these are loose from their infirmities. In Jesus' precious name. Thank you, Lord, that the healing power of God, the life of God goes from each of these believers into them to add to their faith, to add to what they're already believing for, Father. To raise them up. Hallelujah. Thank you Lord. Lord you said these signs would follow those of us that believe. We lay hands on the sick. And the sick shall recover. So we thank you Father for a supernatural recovery. We thank you for a supernatural recovery. For some it begins now. For others it just adds to the recovery that they're believing for. Father we thank you that it's done. Because it's impossible for your word to be a lie. It's impossible for your word to fail to come to pass when we say it and believe it. Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We minister life to each one of these people. We thank you that the life of God goes out of us and into them in a supernatural and even a miraculous way in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Is it done? According to the word of God, it's done. Let's all lift our hands and thank God because it's done. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, that your word is true. Your word says that these are each individual is supernatural recovery from this moment forward. Thank you, Lord. It's so good to be healed. Thank you, Lord, that you watch over your word to perform it. You're ever alert and even sleepless to make sure that healing is ours. Not just spiritually but physically as well. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for healing our bodies. By your stripes, we are healed. Amen. Say it with me. By the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, let's lift our hands one more time and thank him for his goodness. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you, Father, that it's impossible for you to lie. And your word says we were healed by the stripes of Jesus. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you. Thank you for being with us. And thank you, believers, for helping us by laying hands on the sick.
Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.